there, there was a Bangladesh player who played for Essex, Jahid Ahmed. Some of the stuff that was said to him over the course of his career, terrible stuff. And I just think mm. if you see a South Asian, Pakistani girl, whatever, Indigo, playing in the WSL Premier League and on TV every single week, I think that would just inspire more girls to take up the game as well. Yeah, again, even in football, um, a lot of the young South Asian players who just recently got their GCSE results, they're all flourishing. A lot of them got, you know, eights and nines and A stars, which is really good. And clubs are actually looking for really intelligent and bright players. And I think that's, you know, that's the biggest change. And that's happened as more money has come into the game and as it's kind of seeped in. I think that's been the biggest change that I've seen, um, especially on in women's cricket. The participation levels in Pakistan have gone through the roof um, in, in recent years. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of What's Brown Got to Do With It? So today we are joined um, by two people who specialize in sports. We have Riz Rahman, who is the former professional football player at Brentford FC, and he's currently the player um, inclusion executive at the Professional Football Association. And we also have Usman Samiuddin, who is the senior editor at ESPN Crick Info and the author of The Unquiet Ones. Thank you both for being here today. I'm actually really looking forward to um, this topic because it's one that resonates very closely with me. Um, and the reason that I wanted to talk about like South Asians in sports was um, predominantly because of my own son. I have a soon to be 15 year old who is mad about football um and as much as i'm trying not to be that asian parent and allowing him to kind of pursue his dreams and you know his passion it's really difficult to draw the line where it's like okay what's passion against reality so riz i wanted to kind of um start with you and a little bit about you know predominantly football um i know you're doing a lot of work on the um South Asian front, and I was actually quite um, shocked to read some of the statistics where it was something like 0.445% of players of South Asian heritage play in the actual top four English divisions. So that's approximately 16 out of 3,500 professionals. Is that correct? Yeah, look, this topic's been a topic which obviously I've been around for nearly 30 years now. You know, first as a young person growing up, I was nine or 10 when my dad first asked the coach why there's a lack of Asian players in the game. And, you know, he, he said, scared of the weather, got the wrong diet, and your parents push you towards education and not sport. And he turned around and said, Riz, Zesh, you two are good players, but you won't make it, but your kids will have a, a better chance. You know, hearing that at nine and 10, we, we just sort of thought like, who are you? We're, we're good enough and we'll go on and make it, you know, and 30 years later, we're still having the same conversation and we would just want to do something about it, to be fair. So the players that I work with, the senior pros like Zesh, Danny Bath, Neil Taylor, Mal Benning, Otis Khan, um, you know, these players are always asked to talk around their, um, their background, the lack of Asian players. Instead of talking, we want to do something which was to support the players coming through. We needed to know what who's coming through the system now and what support we can give them, um, you know, to go on to have careers in the game. And not just the 16 current players in the system, but only less than 1% of players make it anyway. So we know how hard it is, you know, for any player to have a career in professional football. And we're just trying to give that support to 
players currently in the system now. Okay, and how much do you think is, I mean, because from the sounds of it, like, you know, your dad kind of encouraged you um, to think that way, but how much do you think of it is a barrier from, like, Asian parents um, and how much do you think of a barrier it is for, like, the system in general? I think things times are changing now. You know, a lot of parents that we work with, a lot of young players and the parents, the parents were born and bred here. They've got a passion for the game. They grew up. Um, loving the, the sport, you know, it's accessible on TV, online, on YouTube, wherever it is. And that's showing, um, you know, they travel the breadth and country to take their kids everywhere. Academy football is, is not easy. You're training three nights a week. You're traveling on the weekends. And especially if you've got, if your family's got two or three kids, you know, you, you, you make that commitment to ensure your son's there on time, your daughter's there on time they're they're you know they're at tournaments on the weekends you got the off season you're, you're doing extra one-on-one sessions snc sessions extra education then you got to balance your religious uh, commitments as well but i'm seeing the parents now actually taking their kids everywhere and there's no barriers you know if you're good enough you'll come through you just got to embrace what's in place in terms of what the, what the clubs put on and trust the process you know my brother's Zesh made his Premier League debut nearly 20 years ago as a South Asian Pakistani born and bred in England. There was no YouTube back there. There were no social media. So if Zesh can do it 20 years ago, and we had no support networks, we had no role models to look up to, no one to touch or to talk to, that's all in place now for these young people. So the only real barrier facing any young sports person um, stopping them from having a career in the game is really themselves because the parents will push them the whole way and the clubs and shoulders, mm. a support mechanism around them as well. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Osman, like, you know, you've obviously, you're, uh, you're, you specialise in cricket, but you've been following sports for years and you've also been a sports journalist. Um, what's your take on that? Well, you know, like it, from a cricket it, it, perspective? Yeah, it's interesting because we, we've just had, what, earlier this summer, there was this big report that came out, the Independent Commission for Equity in Cricket. Uh, like a 400, well, 350 page report, which looked at basically why cricket was as exclusionary as it was throughout the country in England. And, and the report came on the, on the back of, and you know, you probably both of you have, have heard of the, the revelations, I guess, of Azim Rafiq and his time as a, as a, as a British Asian cricketer in Yorkshire and, and some of the, you know, pretty horrific racism that he faced there. So this report was commissioned in 2021. It was published earlier this year. And, you know, it's probably one of the most comprehensive kind of reports into why there are not more uh, black British players, why there are not more British South Asian players actually playing at the professional level in cricket. And it's some crazy numbers. So you were talking about football's numbers earlier. Cricket is a little bit different in that, you know, recreationally, uh, I think they say that anywhere between 30 to 35 percent of the game is played by British South Asians. So that's 30 to 35 percent recreational cricket, you know, so you're playing in the parks, you're playing in, in, in clubs and stuff. 30 to 35% are British Asians or, uh, and black, sorry. But only 8% of them actually come through to, to professional level. So, you know, there's, there's clearly a drop. So, so British South Asians and black British cricketers are playing cricket at a recreational level. So, you know, there are kids who are interested in the game, but it, there, there, there's log jams and the report identifies structural barriers, which stops them from kind of coming through to the professional level. So, you know, we, there's only 
really, there's only what Moin Ali and Adil Rashid in, in the England team right now who are kind of the big South Asian role models and who have made it through over the last couple of years. And both of them are like, you know, double World Cup winners now. So pretty established cricketers. And there have always been, there's always been this impression that there's a lot of South Asians who play cricket, but they just don't come through. And some of the reasons for that, you know, they're really interesting. I came to it from the outside, I guess. You know, I I didn't really know how things worked here. But uh, stuff like, you know, there's there's a lack of cricket in state schools, uh, which is a big... And, and that's a problem not just for British South Asians, but, you know, uh, kids of all kind of, of, of all color. Uh, that's a socioeconomic problem that there is no cricket in state schools where, you know, the majority of your children go. Um, there's even like cultural differences. So, so there's, there's this really interesting academic in, in Birmingham called Tom Brown. He's, he's also a cricket coach. He works with Warwickshire, the, the cricket county. And, and he highlighted stuff like, you know, um, so you'll, you'll have like young British South Asian players who are talking to coaches. Uh, you know, they're 16 or something and, and coaches are talking to them and, and they'll be looking down because, you know, among Asians, it's kind of a sign of respect to look down when somebody senior or an authority is talking to you. But that will, and that has been in the past, interpreted in, 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 in the past as a lack of respect. And, and it's not at all a lack of respect. It's just a little subtle cultural kind of thing, which, you know, hasn't kind of translated through. And, and so people aren't aware. And so, you know, these kind of things contribute to kids maybe getting put off by the game, uh, maybe not being given the chance that they kind of deserve. Um, so there's a few structural barriers there, but it, it is a... It is a pretty big problem, as as that report identified um, earlier in the year. I mean, I wonder how much of that is also, you know, when kids don't actually speak up or, you know, when they feel like it's unfair. Like, you know, I often see um, Aman, my son, when he's put on the bench. And, I mean, I am no expert by any means, but I have been, you know, watching him play football um, since he was six and uh, – I have been to every match and every league and every training session. And so I can, you know, see that he's actually pretty good and he's improved. Uh, and he's very hardworking, he's passionate. So sometimes when I'm questioning, why is he on the bench? Um, but he'll never speak up. He won't let me say anything to the coach, but he won't speak up either. He won't question it. And so I wonder how much of that is also embedded, you know, in our culture that you just, you know, you don't rock the boat, don't, don't question authority don't say anything and just just wait your turn. Do you ever find that happens, Riz? Yeah, look, we've got you know, young players in our programme from under nines all the way to senior pros. I mean, in fact, we have a young player today who's 16. He's just moved home. So he's moved from Bradford, you know, down to a, a different club down the south coast. I've seen he's three, 400 miles from his home. Um, you know, he's, he's a Pakistani kid who was born in Bradford, always been around his family. Now suddenly he's in an area which is Sussex. It's, it's predominantly white, you know, and, and this kid is really confident. But for the last couple of months, it's taken him times to adjust to his new surroundings. Um, and that's where like our mentoring program really supports the players. Because I think historically there's been no support systems in place for South Asian families or South Asian players before. So when a young player or family um, you know, it, they're in these new environments which they're not used to and they don't know anyone who's been through that. They've had no one to go to. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, we've got players who have been through what this young player has been through. So we're then able to connect them to one another, connect their families, let them know that, look, this is a whole process. It's all part of growing up. And also, like, 
senior pros like Zesh and Danny and Neil who have played, you know, four or five hundred career games, they are there for the players if they've got questions around if they're not playing setbacks, injuries, how to deal with difficult moments, how to deal with being on the bench, what sort of conversations you can have with your coaches, what sort of tone to take with your coach. When is the best time to do that? Before training, after training, during training. So all these, all these little factors, you know, they mount to massive big things which can ultimately affect that player's chances at their club. So that's in place now for the kids. And in fact, we're seeing an increase in the South Asian professional players in English football now. The numbers are increasingly going up. They're nowhere near what they should be. You know, we're working towards mm-hmm. a 6% target. And like you said, right now, it's around about just less than 1%, but progress is being made and we've got to be optimistic about it. And I think what you're doing with your son and you're supporting him, I think that's brilliant. You know, my message to any parent is stay at, stick at it. If your son's good enough or your daughter, they can make it in the game as well. Yeah, I think... Yeah, but it's a battle. Sorry, go on, Asma. Yeah, no, I was just going to say that I think it's really important. You know, one one of the things that I identified in in cricket was like a lack of lack of diverse models, role models for kids. Um, you know, there are two now, two great guys in in Moin Ali and Al Rashid. There's there's a few more kind of lower down, but what Riz was talking about, like you know, not having and they're starting it now, but you know, not having like a mentoring program for for younger kids uh, in knowing just how to cope and how to live the life of trying to become an elite athlete. I think those kind of pathways have not been um, as, as open to, as open to South Asians, um, you know, probably in cricket, uh, I would say that they haven't been as open in the past and it's taken a little bit more to, for them to kind of jump across the, across the divide. So I think the role models thing and, and, and mentoring, which is, you know, kind of stuff that Riz is talking about. I think that that's like doubly important for, for, for a lot of like British South Asians and, you know, in cricket, even, even black British cricketers. And Charlie, yeah, sorry, I mean, just I think to say if... what you said there about it's been it's it's a battle. But no one no one said to be a professional sportsman is gonna be easy. There's always gonna be battles, there's always gonna be obstacles along the way. It's either going under, over, o- under or over them. You know, you're gonna hit a brick wall now and then, but that's part of growing up. And not all the players are gonna make it. You know, so we also put other um things in place for them as well, like the, you know, aftercare and education, just making them aware that look, there's chance of you having a crew in the game is very minimal. So always think about plan B, plan C, plan D. And that's what we also put in place in terms of our mentoring program as well. So Riz, I know at the beginning you also said that, you know, it's time to maybe more action and less talk. But I do feel that it's quite important as well. Like now that we are developing our South Asian players, uh, you know, in, in these sports, that we didn't have that before. So for these players to actually come out and talk about some of their experiences and be those mentors and role models for, you know, those kids who are actually trying to make it, like for, for them to hear, I know, like, you know, if kids could hear that, okay, these are some of the struggles, but this is how we've overcome them. These are the successes and there is success at the end of it. I think that's a really important messaging for, you know, kids to also hear, not just see, oh, there's someone that looks like me, but also where they feel that, you know, they can resonate with the journey and they can feel part of actually, yeah, I go through this and okay, maybe there is light at the end of the tunnel for me as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's, that's what we do. You know, it's not just about showcasing role models, but they're actually young players having physical contact with these players, speaking to them on a regular basis, having the opportunity to 
build those personal relationships. And once players and families know that we personally care for them, the more the more likely to come out of their uh, their um, um, bubbles, you know, come out of their shell, sorry, and be more like themselves. Mm-hmm. And that takes time, and that is a process, you know. They're not all extroverted, so each player's different and in an individual. And we're trying to show we build that individual plan around them. Um, but yeah, hundred percent, they they. Once they can sort of speak to that person as well and get the real insights mm. and doing the real journey of what it's like, it becomes more uh, reali- realistic for them as well. But do you think that also starts in schools? I mean, just generally, you know, the whole stereotype at school was that, you know, like I know when I was at school, South Asians, you know, you need to study and, you know, you're good at maths and, and science and stuff like that. And then, you know, all my black friends were really pushed towards sports and um, music. And, and it's so stereotypical. But do you, do you find that, you know, those things are changing now, that more kids are being pushed towards, you know, what they're actually good at as opposed to what, you know, we're, we're supposed to be good at? Yeah, yeah. again, even in football, um, a lot of the young South Asian players who just recently got their GCSE results, it's all flourishing. A lot of them got you know, eights and nines and A stars, which is really good. And clubs are actually looking for really intelligent and bright players. If you're bright off the pitch, you're gonna be you're gonna be bright on the pitch as well. So we really encourage the young Asian players to make sure they do their um education. That's the way the game's going now. It is going very elite. Um you know, a lot of the young kids are in they're in, they're in um you know grammar schools are doing really well, parents are successful. And that's the way the game seems to be going as well but I think you're right in school they do need different experiences especially at the younger age groups who are 8, 9, 10, 11 we do encourage the parents like don't just make football the be all or end all can your son daughter go mm. play athletics rugby mm. cricket um, go out with their friends sometimes go to parties go to cinema go bowling with the family do normal family things because when you're 8 and 9 you know it's, there's a long long way to go in that sort of athletic journey so you need to enjoy the process um, along the way as well. But you're right, it starts with schools, it starts with teachers, and it starts with their mentors at school as well. Hmm. Uh, Osman, like even like in cricket, there's um, – and actually in football as well. I mean, even in like India and Pakistan, it's come such a long way. I mean, Pakistan, um, you know, I've been speaking to the captain of the national women's football team, Marian. Like it's just amazing, like some of the things that, you know, these countries are producing and not just that even in the olympics and you know uh, in all the kind of um transnational and international sports it's just what do you think has changed now i mean you've been watching following cricket for a very very long time it's on a different platform to you know where it was even 20 years ago what do you think has changed um, I think it's just, it's just, it's gotten bigger. It's everywhere. You know, if you, if you watch, I'll, I'll give you an example. Like it's a very personal example. My niece has, has, you know, started playing cricket suddenly in Karachi at the age of eight. It wasn't because anybody was really, you know, was really pushing her that way, but she saw cricket all around her. She saw literally cricket on the streets outside our house. Um, she saw cricket on the TV. She heard about cricket at school from her friends, occasionally from me when I was there. Um, and, and, you know, it kind of seeped in. It's just because it's so much part of the national discourse. She started playing. Uh, and now eight years later, she's, you know, she's, she's in the kind of under 19 setup. 
I think what the, the thing that has really changed and what I'm finding out through her and her experiences are that I, I, th I think society has changed to kind of more and more accept that sports can be a career. And they've seen, you know, they, they, they watch a lot of elite cricket on TV. The biggest mm -hmm. cricketers in the country are like the biggest celebrities in Pakistan. So they see these models, they see these role models, and they know that these guys can be a success if only they put in the right effort and the hard work. And they, you know, and, and they're more and more willing to. So some of the girls that uh, my niece plays alongside, you know, maybe 20 years ago, their families would have been like, there's no way you're playing cricket. You know, you're going you're gonna to study at best and then hopefully you'll just get married. And that's it, you know, because that's the way it used to be uh, 20, 25 years hopefully. ago. But, <laughs> and, and now, you know, she, she's playing with girls from all over the country, um, from all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds, but all of whom, all of whose parents have said, yes, like go out and, and, and try and be a cricketer. It's, you know, it's acceptable now just because I think it's, it's really seeped through like national discourse and just daily public life. It seeps through so deeply now that I, 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 and for the majority of the country, it is a legitimate career to kind of pursue. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's the biggest change. And that's happened as more money has come into the game and as it's kind of seeped in. I think that's been the biggest change that I've seen, um, especially on in women's cricket. The participation levels in Pakistan have gone through the roof um, in, in recent years. I mean, and it's nice. It's not just cricket. Like even, you know, football, yeah. which I had so many challenges anyway, but now to see women playing football and doing so well, it's just, you know, it's phenomenal. Where do you think that changed? I, I think, you know, it's generally that kind of, as society has opened up, a lot of these changes come in through like the influences of television and, and, and the internet. And you, mm, yeah. you are exposed to, to so much more stuff than before. And you're exposed to so many more role models. Like who would have thought, you know, 10 years ago that Sana Mir, who's a Pakistan women's cricket captain or, or was mm. a, a while ago and one of the greatest players that the country has produced, she was on like billboards for a Pepsi campaign, like a massive campaign. You know, you would never have thought that. Uh, a few, just even a few yeah, years true. before she, she got there, even when she actually got onto the billboard, people were like, oh my God, Sana Mir is on like the billboard, massive billboard of like the biggest FMCG product in the company, uh, in the country, Pepsi, and she's one of its role models. So I think, you know, gradually it has changed. And I think like the biggest illustrator of the change actually is if you look at the reactions to uh, the Taliban banning uh, women's education and women's sport mm. in, in Afghanistan. I think like you'll see mm. pretty much an across the board from any as like any institution you speak to, any country, any government, like there's been across the board condemnation of the fact that they yeah. have banned like sport and education for women. And I think that like gives, that's just an indicator of how far we've come in that part of the world, especially how far we've come in, like, you know, getting women into public spaces, getting women into playing sport and, and not just being what we all thought women should be 20, 25 years ago or what our, you know, what our kind of forefathers thought that, you know, women should, the role that they should play in society. Yeah. And it's nice to see even in the UK, like Riz, um, what's your experience with like the women playing football in the UK? We've got a few South Asian football players now, don't we? Yeah, no, definitely. And like plus at the PFA, you know, we're the union for all all the players in the WSL, so they get they get all the benefits of the membership, which the same uh, that our senior players in this um, in the men's game get as well. In terms of the South Asian players, there's still not as many. As we would like, so on my program, we've currently got like three players, um, you know, two Pakistani, one Indian. But 
there's a love for the game. You know, a lot of the clubs have centres set up. A lot of the clubs have football activities mm-hmm. for for young girls. And again, the parents are taking them everywhere. And the three girl, one of the girls actually, Zaybe shot Pakistani girl. She just signed her first under twenty ones contract at Manchester United. You know, and she oh, was wow. playing since she was three, four years old. So she's a brilliant role model who who genuinely wants to see more young South Asian girls like her playing the game as well. And I took her to a school in Bradford about, about a month ago and Zay was really quite quite shy and you had all these young school girls running up to her and wanted to take autographs and ask her to sign their sh- school shirts and trainers, <laughs> you know, which their teacher wasn't too <laughs> pleased about. But I think that was the first time Zaber realised that like this how big this can be. Mm. And I just think mm. if you see a South Asian, Pakistani girl, whatever, Indigo playing in the WSL Premier League on TV every single week, I think that would just inspire more girls to take up the game as well. You know, we're already seeing it on, in England with the England national team doing so well at the, at the World Cup as well. Um, yeah. I think it'll take, probably it'll take a bit we of time. Also, yeah. We also saw it with Bendit like Beckham. I mean, that exactly. was legit. Yeah, yeah. So I think the girls, the girls, in fact, even the girls, again, on the program, you know, when we do sessions, we integrate them with the boys as well. And the boys are really impressed with, with the girls and you know, they treat them no different to they treat their other boy mates. So mm. it's good to see. But yeah, I think we're probably another 10, 15 years where we're going to see more and more girls um, you know, having careers in the game. Am I um? I mean, am I allowed to ask Riz yeah. a question? Of course. <laughs> no, I, I just I mean, it is. I, I think related to what you were saying earlier. Have have like participation levels at like recreational level for South Asians in football? Has that like gone through the roof over the last like ten fifteen years? Are there like a lot more South Asian kids playing just recreationally? Because you know there's always the stereotype that oh they're they're into cricket, they're not into football so much. But I think that's that's completely changed, hasn't it, over the last. What, maybe decade or so. Yes, yeah, Sport England data showed that as well. So young Asian kids aged between three and eleven percent, uh, sorry, three and eleven years old, they were playing the same or more than the black or white kids, and it's wow. around about it was around about six percent of participation. So we we've taken that number to say right, if if there's six percent of South Asians between the ages of three to 11 playing recreational football, can we see that same number in the mm. league academy as well? So numbers are increasing at the grassroots, but what we probably do need to see more of is you know, a lot of kids probably still playing in South Asian leagues as well, which is not a bad thing, mm. but the ones who are really mm. good, can they go and test themselves? Can they go and play in leagues where clubs go and watch uh, or, and recruit from? So that's the, that's the next steps, but that, could be financially, that could be social, economically, you know, come down to affordability as well. Uh, yeah. So in terms of recreation and elite, you know, there's two different footballs being played as well in terms of standards. Mm. I was um, in London over Eid and um, all my uncles were in the back in the garden playing cricket and, you know, they said to, and they said to the boys and they said to Aman, you know, come play cricket. And he, he looked at me and he said, I'm not caving into stereotypes. And he picked up the ball <laughs> and just went and started playing football. And there they were playing football. And I remember when my other cousins looked at me and she was like, what was that? And I said, well, he knows what he wants. He's not giving in. So 
Like kudos to him. Brilliant. I can definitely tell you he didn't start football by watching me play it. That was not happening. <laughs> so I don't know where he even got into it. I don't know anybody in my house that plays football. But it's I nice to see. I do, I do. It was what? It, it's a smart choice that it he made. It was a smart choice. Yeah, it's a smart choice that he made. I mean, we live abroad, so there weren't many options. Um, but again, it's a struggle, like I said. It, it's not easy. It sounds like where England is progressing so much and evolving in terms of like the types of players they're bringing in is still a long way to go for South Asians. And I don't see that push for, you know, he's been playing with the same team. He was playing with the same team since he was six years old and he's going to be 15. He's only just changed his team. And one of the reasons he changed his team, he just really felt like, you know, he was being bypassed and he recognizes himself. And for a while, you know, I watched him fluctuate. I watched his whole like demeanor where he was questioning his own abilities because he was constantly kind of being told you're not good enough. And so he start, started to believe that. And it's really like sad as a parent to see that and to watch your child go through that. So I can imagine like there are so many kids out there who want to play football, who, you know, are so passionate about it and they're getting the rejection or not, they're just not getting the encouragement from whether it's parents, whether it's from the coaches, whether it's from school. And so it's so important that, you know, the foundation, which is just the encouragement, it's so important to kind of instill in them that, look, you can try. When I tell them on, you can try. It's still really hard. And you are South Asian and that doesn't help as well, but that doesn't mean it can't happen if we're progressing. And I read somewhere is that you're doing something about um, delivering at the unions of the five-year Asian inclusion strategy and that's 2020 to 2025 do you want to talk a bit about what that is yeah so obviously the pfd aims strategy the pfa a south asian inclusion strategies is a five-year program a five-year strategy so we're now moving into year four of the strategy and, and year on year we've seen good growth you know we've got 100 percent coverage across all 92 league clubs across across the game as well um, you know, there's, there's good, there's good buy from all the stakeholders like the FA, Premier League, English Football League, Kick It Out, Show Us the Red Car. So everyone sort of has seen how we've progressed with our work. But I think it goes back to we still need more kids playing at the grassroots, you know. So we're trying to work with clubs mm. and community trust to see how they can, how they can better engage at the early years. So you're trying, if you're trying to get into academy at, 10, 11, 12, it's too late. You need, you need to try and get in by 7, 8. But if you're going to get in by, sorry, 8 right. or 9, to get in by 8 or 9, you've actually started playing by the age of 3, 4, 5. You know, and that's mm. when a lot of the young white kids and the black kids are playing. So we really need to get the kids in, interested in football from a very, very young age. Um, and so all the findings from my work and some of the case studies and our insights we're now trying to share that far and wide, you know, because I just want more organisations, more clubs doing the work. So like you said, you know, our South Asian kids can get those opportunities from a, from a young age. Yeah. Um, Oz, do you have anything to add? Uh, no, it's, it's just, you know, I think, I mean, I, I don't know. Um, one of the things I was interested in was, seeing whether like there is like actively a, a problem of racism in, in football. And there is, of course, you know, the, the, the whole kick it out campaign is there because of it. But I think one of the things 
that has happened in cricket is that it's become more and more evident over the last, you know, five, six years that at at a lot of different levels of professional cricket, whether that's kind of domestic, you know, county cricket, not so much in the national team itself, because I think the national team actually is a great role model. It's a very diverse team, very open, very, mm-hmm. very welcoming. Um, but I think kind of in county cricket and lower down, there is, there, there is as well as, you know, these kind of structural barriers for, for British Asian kids to come through, there is also like active racism. Um, you know, some of, yeah. some of the stories that you hear from, there, there was a Bangladesh player who played for Essex, Jahid Ahmed. Some of the stuff that was said to him over the course of his career, terrible stuff. Azim himself, you know, has, has, has battled so hard and, and went through so much um, for so long. Cricket Scotland has had issues um, up north here with racism. You know, there's... It, it, it is a very real concern, but I think the the one thing that that report made clear was, you know, there is racism, there is sexism as well, and, and there is elitism, at least in cricket, you know, and those three things have kind of combined to make it a, a very exclusionary sport in this country. Um, and like, you know, as opposed to cricket in countries like India and Pakistan and Bangladesh, where it is very, it is probably the most inclusive activity going uh, in those countries. You know, it, it is the most democratic mm activity where if, if you have talent, you will 90 times out of 100, you will come through. Um, and then, you know, you may not progress after that, but you will come through. Whereas here, I feel like cricket has kind of shrunk as a game in, in the national conscience and and it's become the exclusive, exclusive reserve of, and this the report confirmed with its numbers, that it's become the reserve of like white public school boys. Um, you know, people yeah. who go to private schools, private schools, um, uh, uh, white kids from private schools who have access to the facilities, who have the money in the first place to get into those schools. Um, and, and in those schools are where, like, you know, the best coaches are. And that's essentially where the best chances of you getting through uh, to, to higher levels is. Um, but that's also where I think a lot of the attitudes of exclusion are fermented because, you know, you don't have enough diversity in those in those establishments and stuff. So. I don't know if there's that kind of problem at, at a lower level, at a more grassroots level in football. I don't know whether there's an active kind of exclusionary issue in, in the game there, as there is in cricket, I think. Yeah, look, I'm not, I'm not denying the fact that there's not going to be those, um, you know, stereotypes and racism happening at the grassroots and probably stopping some of the young kids from progressing into elite academies or maybe some academy being very selective for what grassroots clubs they choose from. You know, I get, I get messages on social media and emails from parents every single day, you know, telling me that there's racism and the kids can't get in for whatever, for whatever reason, um, you know, but we've got to try and remain positive. I think for too long we focus on, oh, it's always about the barriers when mm. it comes to South Asian. I, think, I don't think we really, um, you know, Shout about Moeen Ali or Rash, sorry, Moeen or Rashid or Azim, you know, about their achievements and what they've achieved in the game. Yeah. It's always, yeah. oh, let's talk about the stereotypes and the barriers. Let's talk about the lack of. But how yeah, can absolutely. we actually celebrate some of these? How can we celebrate some of these role models and, the, and achievements? So younger kids seeing that, they can also emulate in their, in their footsteps as well. What we just don't have, the Asian population in England is, is tiny compared to the white British, you know, so. Naturally, we're going to see more mm-hmm. kids coming through and more kids playing the game. We just need to see young South Asian communities playing sport and it being accessible to them in, in communities, in schools, mm-hmm. you know, within the different faith centres, wherever they wherever they 
they go and pray. You know, it's important that we just give them opportunities. Not that they're going to go and become professional footballers, but it'll actually help with their social skills. It'll help with their fitness. It'll help with their mental health. It'll help with their well-being. You know, if they go and become professional players, that's just a byproduct of everything else. The first and priority will be their education, you know. But then football, they should just see it as a as a hobby. But yeah, like cricket, like football, like probably other sports, and then there are some structural barriers which and you know which is, which are embedded, and it will take time to um, change the whole system. But all we can do is try. I agree. And I think like, you know, starting with the community and parents is so important for that because that mindset, you know, like let them follow their passion, like let them play, let them be good. And like I said at the beginning, I struggle and I'm very progressive in that sense. But when it came to him picking his GCSEs, I was like, what do you mean you would you don't want to take economics? What kind of nonsense is that? We had this whole conversation and, you know, we actually had to like, like a like argument about it and I kept saying to myself don't be that parent don't do it like let him follow his passion but then the South Asian in me was like okay okay but we need plan b economics is plan b so you know if someone like me struggles I can only imagine like what some of these kids go through um, especially in you know the communities where it's a little bit more kind of integrated they're kind of integrated into each other and more segregated from the rest of like, from other communities. It's a lot harder. It's like my dad telling me, you don't need to go to the gym because you don't need to lose weight. And, you know, it's like, okay, but I need to stay healthy, dad. It's <laughs> that forever struggle. But thank you both. But before we um, finish, I want to ask you, um, and that is, what does being brown mean to you? So when we're talking about in the context of sports, um, what does it mean to you when I say what's brown got to do with it? And I'll start with you, Riz. Under pressure now. Yeah, brown. Yeah. Good. <laughs> to me, like, I've never focused on my skin, skin colour, you know, but I'm, I'm proud to be South Asian and brown and, and, you know, you can use it to my advantage, to be honest, in different in different situations. I find myself and sharing my experiences and hopefully I can come across in a in a very positive way and showing lots of energy as well. And Osman? Uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate in life to have come from like, you know, compared to a lot of people like around me, I've come from some privilege, you know, we've lived abroad all our lives. My parents worked hard and kind of, I benefited from that. But I think, I, I think over the years, as I've, as I've done more journalism, as I've gotten deeper into my career, especially since I've moved here, I think I've seen that, you know, it, it's it's opened my eyes to the brown experience not being the same uh, for a lot of people in different countries. And it's very, very complicated. Mm. It, it, you know, it, it, I, I think being brown here for me has meant to be able to kind of understand how complex and complicated the issues that South Asians face in this country are um, and, and how, you know, how difficult it is to kind of work your way out of it. But then you you see guys like Riz. Uh, and you see other guys like Moinali, and you see like there's so many, so many more role models coming in now that I, th I think, I, I think that just leaves you with a sense of hope. You know, I, I have kids growing up in this country, and I feel like it's going to be better for them than it has been. No, for me, I've had a great life, but I think growing up for them, if they grow up in this country, um, you know, it, it's going to be a better experience for them as brown kids uh, than it has been for a lot of brown kids who came before them. 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, London is way more diverse now than it has ever been. And I asked somebody, uh, I think it was one of my cousins, this question, like, what do you identify as? And he said, actually, I had, I identify as an, as a Londoner. I don't mm. identify as British, Asian, anything like that. He lives in, he lives in Brazil. He said, but I actually identify as a Londoner, not even Brit- like the UK because London is so diverse and you just don't get that diversity anywhere else. And I think that really kind of resonated with me that, yeah, if I am a Londoner, like through and through, and it's one of the best parts of growing up. Like you just have access to everybody and everything around you. It's amazing. Anyway, on that note, thank you both so much for taking time out. Great conversation and looking forward to that 0.45% increasing very soon. Thank you. And we'll speak soon. Bye. Bye-bye.